Well, good evening and welcome to this month's edition of the Disability Report. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting as usual with Ari Searless, National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa, who own Rolling Inspiration magazine. And we'll be talking about the Oscar Pistorius sentence, finding out about a paralyzed man who walked again after a cell transplant and congratulating Driving Ambitions on their SAB Innovation Award. Kathy Bodmer, who owns and manages professional emergency care here in Cape Town, will be on the line and we'll be talking about the upcoming CPR Day or Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation, if you wonder what CPR was, and that's taking place on Saturday the 8th of November. And then I received an email from Bruno de Meyer, and he was telling me about his participation in the recent South African Braille Chess Championships and suggesting that I chat with Ray Orkett, chairman of the South African Braille Chess Association. So, thanks to Bruno, Ray will be joining us a little later and he'll be filling us in on what they're all about. And finally, Professor Claudine Storbeck, Professor and Director at the Centre for Deaf Studies at the University of the Witwatersrand and Director and Founder of High Hopes, a home-based early intervention programme that supports parents of infants with hearing loss, will be joining us and we'll be talking about this very important topic. And just a reminder, if you need any information about something you hear on the show tonight, take a look at the Facebook page, Disability on SAFM, or email me directly on disability at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. The Disability Report on SAFM. Well, as usual, we start the show by chatting with Ari Searles. He's the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa. And this month, we'll be chatting about the Oscar Pistorius sentence, finding out about a paralyzed man who walked again after a cell transplant, and congratulating Driving Ambitions on the SAB Innovation Award. Ari, good evening. Welcome to the show. Corin, good evening. And thanks to Adcock Ingram, because they've now taken... Uh, at least some time away, a minute away yes. from my time. You've got a new partner. Hey? <laughs> yes, well absolutely. Well, rather timeous, our chat about the Oscar Pistorius sentence because uh, the state has, has applied for leave to appeal the sentence and the verdict. Corin, um, I've had my say a number of times on this issue of Oscar, um, and um, you know the appeal is just a process. Um, but what I'd like to say is you know, the sentence has been given now, and Oscar's now in jail. And I just believe that it's really important that correctional services provide an equitable environment for him. And then Oscar also embraces this um, the sentence and does his best to create the same amount of influence he did in an in a, in athletic arena, in the correctional services arena. And um, he sensitizes people to the needs of people with disabilities. He shows what he can do, um, and he shows he needs to show um, that he's got resilience and he's not that vulnerable, and um, that he can make it at least for the first 10 months. So I think that um, you know, if he approaches it the right way, you know, people with disabilities uh, will have a more equitable environment in correctional services facilities. So you know, sit tight, Oscar, be brave, and do what you have to do, and at the end of the day, you know, leave a place better off for people with disabilities who might have to follow you there. And the story about this man who basically walked again after this amazing cell transplant. I was seeing all sorts of things on the internet about this. It was some stem cells taken from his nose, if I'm not correct, if I'm not incorrect. Yes, this is Darek Fidyaka, a paralyzed Polish man who now has taken his first few steps um, after having had this um, stem cells from his nose transferred. And, you know, he'd been spinal cord injured um, or paralyzed, or I'm not sure whether it was complete or incomplete, 
For a good number of years. So this is the big breaking news in the spinal cord injury arena, uh, that he's taken his first few steps. How functional it is, we don't know. You know, we've seen a video clip or two, and um, I think it's so, so important that we um, embrace this breakthrough, if it is, and hopefully it's not another um, miracle cure or a promise um, that takes some money away from you that um, causes a lot of damage in the hope arena. Um, hopefully, you know, we can get some feedback from um, other researchers in the world to, to, to give it some credibility. Um, what it certainly will do and does do is give hope to, to people that have just become spinal cord injured that, they, you know, we're making headway. Uh, there must be optimism, and I certainly support optimism. I read a very interesting piece the day after from a, a quadriplegic uh, in America called Jeff Halton, a, mm. a well-known quadriplegic who's been a quadriplegic for 30 years, and, you know, who wrote about, this is good, but let's not have the notion that you're a second-class citizen if you cannot walk. Let walking not be the, the, the sort of the measurement tool of being successful or not successful as someone with a spinal cord injury. Um, so let's embrace both, that, you know, if you're not going to walk again, it doesn't matter. Walk through life is the most important thing. And if you have the opportunity to walk again, well, this is wonderful. Is this the breakthrough we were waiting for? Um, I hope so. Um, but then there mustn't be this unrealistic pressure on many of us who have been around for a long time with spinal cord injury who are not going to be candidates for a miracle cure. I read that letter that Jeff wrote, and it has got to be possibly one of the most inspirational things I've read in a long time. What a wonderful piece of writing. And if anybody who's interested in reading it would like to email me at Quasar, uh, and the email address is info at quasar.co.za, I'll gladly forward this piece of writing, um, which puts everything into perspective. Um, of course, as you know, I had a chance to spend time with Christopher Reeve, and that's mm. all he wanted to do was walk again. But what he did was he, he, he drove the motivation of researchers to spend some time um, researching spinal cord injury and leaving some other uh, research projects behind. And so he was a great motivator. And, and this might be the outcome of it. Um, but my message is, you know, there's a number of people that will never walk again. And they're just as good citizens as those that feel they're candidates to walk again. So success is not walking it's an op- uh, you know, walking is an opportunity that hopefully people will have as soon as possible, um, you know, available through some procedures that um, are guaranteed. And then the most amazing news, um, your driving ambitions was awarded third place in the SAB Innovations Award. I mean, congratulations. Yes, thanks, Corinne. You know, I talk occasionally um, about driving ambitions. It's giving opportunities for people uh, that need adaptations in vehicles to learn to drive through Quasar's Driving Ambitions Driver Training Program. And we entered the SA Breweries Innovation Awards. Six months ago, we went through some rigorous judging and um, adjudication. And then the award ceremony was last Thursday. And, um, yeah, we were, we were absolutely thrilled. We were given third place, 350,000 rand towards the project. And we had to, obviously, had to put uh, down as part of the adjudication what we're going to do with the money. So we're going to expand the project. We'll get another vehicle. We'll get another set of hand controls. So we'll be able to take more candidates into the program. But I just think it wasn't, you know, it's a mainstream competition. So there were many inventors of all sorts of things. And um, ours was uh, uh, 
a sustainable driver training program for people with disabilities. So we came third. You know, we beat 19 other finalists, and um, we absolutely thrilled. That's wonderful news, especially now that you can get more people into the program because from the early days that I've been chatting with you, that's always been the, the goal is to get more and more people into the program, and this is a great start. Yes, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take the program now to KwaZulu-Natal, which has got this, the second biggest demand for people um, to, to learn to drive, and then um, you know, who knows, we might find a, a corporate that comes along and, and likes what we've done and acknowledges our success and says, well, look, what will it take to get you into the Eastern Cape and the Western Cape? Other two areas that are also begging for this type of project. So thanks a lot for acknowledging that. And, um, you know, everybody that has come onto our program, I guess they're the ones that helped us win. It's not us. It's the people that joined the program and took the courage to learn to drive. Wonderful, Ari. Really good news. And I like to end our chat on a very good news story. So thank you for that. <laughs> a nice change. Eh? I look forward to chatting with you again next month. Hopefully we've got lots more good news next time. Okay, Corinne. Thanks, Thanks, Ari. Have a good evening. Okay, good night to you. Ari Sealis is the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa who own Rolling Inspiration magazine. And if you're wanting to get your own copy of Rolling Inspiration magazine, they're now available at pick-and-pay pharmacies as well as being sold by subscription. If you don't have a pick-and-pay pharmacy near you, you can still get your own copy. You just have to subscribe, and you can do that by emailing them on risubscriptions at telcomsa.net. And you can also find them on the web on rollinginspiration.co.za. And if you need any information from the Quad Para Association, you can always call them on 0860-ROLLING or take a look at their website. It's quasa.co.za. That's Q-A-S-A. And if you'd like the article, it's a, it's a fascinating article on this man, this paralyzed man who's now been able to walk again after this. They use stem cells from his nasal cavity and they transplanted them into his spinal cord. It's an amazing article on that. And also there's a wonderful letter written by a man in America who is a quadriplegic and written the most inspirational letter I think you'll ever read. And if you'd like copies of either of those two, just drop me a line to disability at safm.co.za and I will send those along to you. The Disability Report on SAFM. Well, it's CPR Day on Saturday, the 8th of November, and the Resuscitation Council is planning CPR flash mobs in public spaces in the large centres around the country. And to tell us more, I'm joined now by Cathy Bodman. She owns and manages professional emergency care here in Cape Town. Cathy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Cathy. Oh, we seem to have lost Cathy. We will see. We'll try and get her back. But while we're waiting to get her back, let me just tell you that the SABC TV division is calling all established TV producers and aspiring filmmakers to attend workshops on the recently launched Request for Proposals book. A team of commissioning editors will be in attendance to answer your queries, and the workshop will be held at the SABC Durban offices on Wednesday the 5th, that's tomorrow, from 8.30 until 3. And for more information on the RFP book and the roadshows, you can call 011-714-45. Or email commissioning at sabc.co.za. And I think we now have Kathy Bodmer back on the line. Kathy, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. We lost you there for a moment. I was just telling everybody before we lost you that CPR Day is on Saturday, this coming Saturday, and the Resuscitation Council is planning CPR flash mobs. God, that's going to be something quite unusual. Tell me what's happening on Saturday. Yeah, we're going to have an exciting time in Joburg and Durban and Cape Town. We've got groups of uh, volunteers, mainly instructors, to give up some time, and we're going to be putting on a flash mob in, in big public spaces just to raise awareness 
Now, flash mobs, you normally, when I've seen them on TV, people are dancing about. Are you going to be doing CPR all over the place? Is that basically what your flash mob's about? Yes, yeah, we'll be doing CPR to some good music, um, courtesy of the parlor toes. And um, we'll be doing just compression demonstrations of compression for a couple of minutes in public spaces. So in Cape Town, we'll be at half past 12 at the Golden Acre, which is, of course, at that time of day, a very, mm. very busy um, thoroughfare. And we hope to have uh, hundreds of people stop and watch us do compressions and maybe then get on a mannequin and learn how to do compressions afterwards. And we have discussed this because you join me regularly on the last Thursday of every month on the health update feature on on Thursday mornings, just after the 11 o'clock news on SAFM. And we've spoken about CPR quite a lot. And we've discussed the fact that the best way to know how to do the compressions is to have to sing a song to yourself in your head. And you did try at one stage to try and make me sing, but I don't do that because it's, I would actually scare everybody off. But the songs that you, the, to get the rhythm, they're two. And I always know the bad one. What is the other? What is the good one? <laughs> the DG singing Staying uh, There you go, Staying, staying oh, I always yeah. think it's, it's, it's the Queen with Another One Bites the Dust. It's those two. Yes, yes. The rhythm yes. is, the, is the correct rhythm. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to be doing it to the pilot and uh, their song called Push Me to the Floor. Okay. So all of those give a, a rate of about 100 compressions a minute. So, and, and that's what we want you to do. If someone's not breathing and they collapse on the floor, other than calling for help and making sure that an ambulance is coming and they know that you're doing CPR, you need to start compressions and do good quality, good rate, so it's deep and it's fast and it's hard, and you need to keep doing compressions until some help arrives, or if you've been trained and you know how to, you could put a resuscitator, a one-way valve between your mouth and the patient's mouth, and then you could go city compressions and two breaths and city conditions and two breaths and keeping on doing that until until the paramedics arrive. So just run us through now. If we see somebody collapse, Kathy, we, we obviously shouldn't just start doing CPR. We should check for a few things before we start. Yes, I think that the first thing is to, you know, maybe just be aware of what's happening around you. Are you safe? Can you do it where you are? Is it safe to do CPR there? We'd hate you to rush in, you know, with blinkers on and try and help somebody and get yourself killed in the process. So make sure, just are there any hazards and can you deal with the hazard or can you um, call for help in spite of hazards? But if it's safe enough, then we want you to get to the patient, kneel down next to them and tap them on their shoulders and firmly talking to them loudly, you know, hello, hello, and try and see, can you wake them up? Can you get any response from them? If they don't respond, your third age is to make sure you raise the alarm, call for help. So rather send somebody else off to phone for you. And here, obviously, in South Africa, our, our provincial ambulance service number is 10177, um, or have a private ambulance service that services your area's number up at home. But you need to phone, or someone else needs to phone quickly to make sure that the, the, the paramedics are coming and they're coming with a defibrillator, because the best chance of turning this person's heart on is, is of, of them having a shock within a couple of minutes of arrest. So we need to call quickly or send somebody else to call, preferably, and then kneel next to the patient, put your hands together with your elbows locked so that your hands are on the, in the center of the chest on the lower half of the breastbone, and you push hard. You're pushing into the chest about five centimeters. It's a lo- at least five centimeters. It's a long way down, and you want to push at a rate of 100, at least 100 compressions a minute. So that's one and two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight, and you're going to go to 30, and if you know how to, and you're able to, you could give two breaths and go back to your city. But if you don't, if you don't feel able to, or you don't want to put your mouth on this person, maybe it's a total stranger in the road, maybe there's blood coming out of their mouth, then just to do compression only CPR on this adult will buy us some time. 
So the blood that is in the body of, a, of an adult who rests suddenly will have quite a lot of oxygen residual in the blood. And if we push the blood around the body and we create a blood pressure, we can perfuse the brain and keep the brain viable. So would you continue doing the compressions? Because if you are going to do the breaths, you would do 30 compressions and two breaths. So if, you can't, if you're not going to do the breaths, would you just continue with the compressions or would you stop after 30, take a break and carry on? No, no, don't take a break. Just keep on, keep, keep on, 30, 30, 30, 30, keep on going until help arrives. Every time you stop, there's no blood pressure and no oxygen going to the tissue. So the best thing, it's like your heartbeat, it doesn't stop for a break every now and then. Rather keep continuous compressions going. I just want people to think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing the breath, so I'll just take that as a break and then I carry on. <laughs> Don't take the break, just keep going. <laughs> what about children now, Kathy? Obviously, because there are, there are some horrible situations where we have to possibly use CPR on children. Yes, obviously, um, and, in the, and in the Cape. So and especially are, with summer um, coming and beaches and, and things. And summertime is about a drowning every week, and that's really tragic. So parents and caregivers need to know how to quickly respond. So obviously, the hazard is the water. You've got to get the child out of the water. And I want to give a bit of caution there that sometimes double tragedies happen when parents or, or well-meaning citizens jump in to save a child out of the water, whether it's a river or a dam or in Cork Bay Harbour. And they can't swim themselves, and so we land up having two drownings. So really don't jump in the water if you can't stand there, and or if you aren't a strong swimmer, don't just dive into the sea and swim out expecting to rescue somebody. Rather be the person who raises the alarm and gets help. But we do need to get the child out of the water. We need to see, are they unconscious, if they're unresponsive, and they're not breathing, we need to raise the alarm. Preferably send someone else, and you start CPR. If there's no one else to send and you are alone with the child, then rather do two minutes of CPR, 30 compressions, two breaths, 30 compressions, two breaths. You'll have about five cycles of 30 and two in your two minutes and then run and phone quickly. But rather do two minutes of CPR before you run away and phone if you, if you don't have anybody else to send. And obviously it's different with babies. If you're, if you're a parent and you're at home alone and you have a baby, the whole method of doing CPR is very different, which is why... Yet we hop on this on a Thursday morning, Kathy. It would be ideal for new parents or caregivers to take a first aid course before that baby arrives. Coronet, you can't you can't actually overemphasize it. You don't know how to put it in words to make it so that people actually understand the importance of doing a first aid course or a CPR course. Just a morning, a couple of hours of investment in your time, in your life, could possibly save your own family's life. So, yeah, parents. They, they can't put it off. People should just enroll in a, in a CPR course, spend a few hours, learn how to do the skills, and do that every couple of years so that you keep that information really current in your head and feel confident that you know how to do the skills. And that's available anywhere in South Africa, really. If they go onto the Resuscitation Council's website, which is www.resuscitationcouncil.co.za, they go on there under training centers, the old BLS training centers, those are basic life support training centers, and they are all over the country. I think there are 120 of them, and there will be one close to you. They'll have instructors, they'll have equipment, and you can uh, register on a course, or maybe they can come and run a course in your own home and get a couple of friends together for an evening, and just on the, in the comfort of your own home, on your lounge carpet, learn how to do CPR on an adult and a child and a baby, so that if something tragic had to happen, it could end possibly better if you know how to respond. And as you mentioned, there's possibly one of these training 
places anywhere in the country. I mean, everybody can possibly get to one. So, and as you said, maybe get a whole lot of friends together, make an evening of it or make a Saturday morning or a Saturday afternoon of it. You honestly will not believe you will save a life at some point. Even if it isn't your own family, you could be somewhere where somebody's in, in mm. trouble and you could you could actually help. I mean, it would, it would be an amazing thing. And even if it's not CPR that you need to do, people choke on a regular basis and there are quite a lot of unnecessary deaths from choking. So, I mean, how you have small children and not know how to manage choking, it boggles my mind. You really have to know, if you have children, how to manage choking. They choke so easily, and below the age of four, they have a very immature cough reflex. So they choke, they, they choke, children choke. Like old people fall, young children choke. And so you really need to know how to manage it. Because if you can deal with this emergency when it happens, the disaster is averted, and everything is over by the time the ambulance arrives. And as parents of young children know, I mean, every possible conceivable thing that is small enough will go in the mouth um, or up the nose or somewhere yeah. and they'll swallow it. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know what, how, how they managed to do that. I mean, it's the most amazing thing that kids will put everything and anything in their mouths. It's incredible. And we need to know what to do if they do that. So, you know, Kathy, so tell me a little bit more about Saturday now. We mentioned it was going to be the Golden Acre in Cape Town. How can people find out where it's going to be in the rest of the country? Um, well, in Johannesburg, it's in a North Riding in a big shopping centre there called Northgate. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this half of 10 in Johannesburg. At Durban, I'm afraid I don't have the shopping centre on me right now. But um, I can give you that information for an, another And if they looked at, on the Resuscitation Council website, would they be able to find anything it's, there? It's not on there at the moment. Oh, it's and not. They'll try and get it on there by tomorrow night. But, um, well, if anybody's interested, they can just email me on disability mm. at safm.co.za. And, Kathy, if you could just maybe email me that information, I will have it there. And anybody wants it, I will certainly pass it on. So you say it's Golden Acre at 12.30 in Cape Town. And... Um, you said it was North Riding, did you say, in Johannesburg? In North Riding, the North Gate is the North shopping centre. North Gate in North Riding in Johannesburg. At 10.30. And that's going to be at 10.30 in the day, yes. So there's going to be all the sort of demonstrations of the CPR. Yeah, as so we're going to do CPR for everybody, and then um, and then when we've uh, done that to uh, the pilot and song, they've been really generous in letting us use it. We're going to then invite the public to come and you know, get on the floor and put their hands on that mannequin and learn how to do compressions. And we'll hand out flyers there with a little CPR card on it showing you how to call for an ambulance and what to do in the meantime as a reminder that people can go put up at home and um, and have training centre contact details on the other side so they can get hold of some training centre in their area. Oh, good. Where okay. um, they can easily enrol and do some training. So this, well, if they go, if they come along to the event on Saturday, they mustn't it's sort of think, well, I've been, I've done this for five minutes now, I know what I'm doing. They still need to go to a, a training course after that. You will really feel so much more confident if you know you've done these skills, you've done them on the adult and the child and the baby, you've practiced it, you've honed it, it's been corrected, you've practiced until you got it perfect. And you you really build a muscle memory in your brain and your body in that you, when you do compression, then you'll know whether you're doing them at the right rate and the right depth. And uh, that will definitely give you a better chance of doing quality CPR. Well, I certainly hope they're going to be st- floods of people at the shopping centres because it's really this is especially with summer coming and the kids are going to be on holiday they're going to be around more to put more stuff in their mouths as they if they're small and you know we just need to be able to do this as one of those imperative things so please go along on Saturday it should be a lot of fun having this whole CPR flash mob thing sounds like a lot of fun Kathy thank you so much for joining us and I hope this is a huge success on Saturday and lots more people enroll to go and do the courses because that is the ultimate goal here absolutely and thank you I'm sure we're going to have tons of fun we'll show you some pics
Thanks. Please do that. Good night to you. Kathy Bodmer owns and manages professional emergency care here in Cape Town. And for more information on them, you can take a look at the website. It's www.pec.co.za. And for more information on the Resuscitation Council and to find out about training courses in your area, have a look at their website. It's resuscitationcouncil.co.za. At Adcock Ingram, we're passionate about the health of all South Africans. For more than 120 years, generations of families across the Rainbow Nation have trusted us with the day-to-day health of their loved ones. With household names like Panado, Bioplast, Comprel and Citrus Soda, you'll find the same quality and care in all of our medicines. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram Medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. The Disability Report on SAFM. Well, I recently received an email from Bruno de Meyer, and he was telling me about his participation in the recent South African Braille Chess Championships. And then he suggested that I chat with Ray Orkut, chairman of the South African Braille Chess Association. So Ray's now on the line. Ray, good evening. Welcome to the show. Yes, good evening, Karen. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Great to chat. I'm so pleased that Bruno emailed to tell me about this because I wouldn't have known otherwise. So tell me about the association. As I mentioned, you are the chairman. And he says that he was actually at the championships, I think it was in Worcester in September, I think he said. That is correct. Yes, we had our South African championships on the 27th and 28th of September. And uh, he was uh, down here to attend attend this. And uh, we were very happy to have him there. Um, We have this on an annual basis. So every year we have this SA championships. So it's, a, it's throughout the country, I would imagine, obviously, and international as well. I was looking on the internet. There seem to be a chess, blind chess, a Braille chess cha- associations all over the world. Yes, in fact, there is an international Braille chess association. We are affiliated to it, and we actually attend the um, the Olympiads every four years. Now, um, just to take you back in the history of, of the history of SABCA, that's what now we call it, S-A-B-C-A, uh, it was established in 1991. A group of people actually started it in 1991. At the time, obviously, uh, there weren't any um, colors, you know, official colors given to all the sports teams at that time. And uh, our teams went overseas to take part in the Olympiads and World Championships. They paid for themselves and they called themselves the Springboks at the time, but obviously it wasn't official. But then in 2003, uh, we decided to affiliate to CHITA, which is the uh, Chess South Africa. And only through CHESA can you now. Uh, participate in uh, overseas tournaments uh, officially, and uh, only through Chesa can actually be awarded Protea colors uh, officially now. And so in 2004, we sent our first team, Protea team, to Spain, and in 2008, we sent the, uh, sec- the second team to uh, Greece, and then in 2012, we went to India. So in four years' time, in actual fact five years' time, they changed it because it's every four years, but it falls in the same um, year of a lot of other sports. So they decided to change it to 
2017, but we don't know where it's going to be held yet. So internationally we do take part, and nationally we have the national tournament every year, and we also have the top eight, um, the, the top eight of that SA Championships play in a separate competition, and then we also take part in open championships in the Boerland, in the Western Province, in the Transvaal, or Gauteng as they call it now. So wherever they play, they can play in open championships, and uh, that is the gist of it at this stage. Now, Ray, this sounds all, you all sound like you know exactly what you're doing. What about someone listening to this thinking, I'd like to learn to play chess? Can they come and learn, or do you have to be sort of like, you sound like you're quite the ace chess players here. I mean, I can't move a chess piece for, for anything. Wouldn't know what I was doing. But what if, if somebody wanted to come along and learn? Could they do that too? Yes, absolutely. Um, just to give you an example, we in Worcester have uh, quite a strong chess club and uh, we have uh, from time to time we get new players and uh, then of course they are trained and uh, at the moment we have a a, a black guy called uh, Dalatandu uh, he only started last year in August, September. He started playing, um, you know, with us, and we we trained him as from then. And um, actual fact, at this championships, he did pretty well. He came tenth, and he got two and a half points out of five. And uh, for us, that is a, a great feather in our cap. And uh, any person um, can come to the club and uh, can be taught. And we've got quite a few new players now, and uh, we are very proud of them. Uh, we are a very strong club um, in, in, in the country at the moment. We, uh, we are actually the only club uh, at this stage. The other people are all uh, individual participants uh, from the other parts of the country. Now this is Braille Chess Association. I'm assuming the pieces have Braille on, on the different on the chess pieces. Very interesting. Uh, the chess board has got uh, black and white squares obviously. The black squares are raised. So then you know exactly which is the black and which is the white squares. And in the middle of the square it's got a little hole. And then the chess pieces have got a peg underneath, and uh, that is put into this uh, little hole so that you can actually feel the chess pieces, uh, the shapes, and then obviously you know which is the knights and the queens and whatever. Uh, and then you can actually feel it without knocking it over. Um, and and uh, that is where the difference comes in with uh, your touch move as well. Um, when you in inside the chess, if you touch a piece, you you must move it. And in uh, in braille chess, obviously you have to touch it all the time so you can feel where you are. But um, the um, the rule says that as soon as you lift it out of that socket, that is a touch move. Okay. Then you must move that piece. Are any of the other rules different, Ray, or is it just that one? Just that one. Actually, it is the most uh, fantastic game. You're on the same level as any other person. You can play against sighted people, uh, no matter what disability they have. Uh, if they can play chess, they play chess. And it's the same rules for everybody. It's just that sort of adaption, uh, obviously, for you know, so that you can feel it, yeah. Now, this is open to anyone who's blind or legally blind. Now, if you could explain possibly to the listeners who might not be understanding exactly what legally blind, they you know, sometimes think you're either blind or you're not blind, but you can be blind and legally blind is slightly different yes actually uh, that's a very interesting question because you have what they call um, a, a set of rules which says that if your sight uh, um, is 6 over 60 
then you're still qualified. But if you go over that, uh, and that's quite a technical thing, actually, but uh, um, you can be tested for it. If you're six over 60, you can actually qualify that. And then you go through as a partially sighted person. But you still compete in the same competition. You know, a friend of mine said one day, it doesn't matter if you can see well or, or you can't see. If you play chess, uh, if you're a good chess player, beat the bloke. Finish and class. It's, a, it's, it's more of a, a, a mental game. It's not really, a, a, I would say, a visual game per se. I mean, a lot of it is the thinking out the processes and, and planning it. And it's more of that kind of thing, Chess. It's, it's more of a m- mental thing, a mind game. Absolutely. Uh, we always tell the new players, just think of, uh, you know, you have two armies against one another. And the one is trying to outwit the other one. And that's exactly what it is. You're trying to outwit your opponent and you're trying to trick him and uh, he's trying to trick you. And that is how it happens, yes. Is it very popular? I mean, do you have a lot of members in in the clubs? Uh, we in, in Worcester have, uh, at this stage, we have about 20 uh, partially sighted and blind uh, players. And we also have uh, quite a few sighted players in our club. And uh, that's very exciting because they give us good opposition. And uh, we, we love it to bits. But on the other parts of the country, uh, our players play in the normal sighted leagues. They go to the clubs, they go to the leagues, and they play there. And then uh, at the end of the year when we have our championships, then we get together and obviously we compete against one another then. So um, as I said, I was very pleased that Bruno actually uh, contacted me and he was, in his email he actually said, I only discovered Braille Chess this year and then participated in the championships in September. So I mean, he obviously was quite a quick study. He picked it up quite fast. Well, actually, he was a chess player before. Oh, was he? Um, okay, he didn't mention that part. I thought this guy's yeah. amazing. Okay, so he... No, he, no, he, <laughs> he was a chess player before, but uh, he only um, discovered the Braille Chess uh, recently through a friend. Okay. And, uh, and that, that was quite amazing. And obviously, when he came here, we did not know exactly what his strength was, and he amazed everybody, and uh, he won the championships. <laughs> That's amazing, but it's 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 one of those things that you know. I, I, I until Bruno emailed me, I'd never heard of it before, and it's one of those things that we need to get more out there, that more people get to find out about this. And Ray, how if people want more information, what do they do? Where do they go to find out? Well, first of all, we have a website. It's www dot one word dot org dot za. Or they can, obviously, they can phone me at any time on the number you have there. Okay. Uh, and uh, I could give them information, whatever they need. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very exciting uh, time of, uh, of our history now because we are trying really hard to get funds together so that we can actually um, send our players overseas and uh, uh, let them have some experience of overseas players. Our ratings in South Africa are very low in comparison to the uh, international uh, folks. And uh, the only way to improve it is to play against uh, that type of opposition. Are you, do you have any affiliation to the South African National Council for the Blind? Uh, yes, we are actually affiliated to the National Council. And we are affiliated to CHESA, which is uh, CHESA South Africa, and also affiliated to the IBCA, the International Braille Chess Association. Okay, so if people want to find out more where there's a club possibly in the area where they live, and they just go on to braillechess.org.za, will that information all be there? 
I'm not quite sure how up-to-date that is. Um, we'll have to check on that because I can't go into the Internet myself. Uh, but we will check on that. But uh, otherwise, there, there should be telephone numbers and uh, they can contact us. Yes. Because I also saw on the South African National Council for the Blinds website, when you go on there and you put in Braille Chess, there's actually a place you can put your name and contact numbers and they will get back to you and tell you where there's a place in your area. That which is, is rather correct, nice. So yes. they can do that as well. So they've got two choices of things to do there. So lots of, of ways to find out where to go and play. And Ray, it sounds like an amazing thing. I hope people keep in touch next time. If you're going to be playing in a big championship or you've got something happening and you guys are going overseas, please do let me know. I'd love to chat to you again. Absolutely. No, we'll do that. And it's a, it's a great opportunity to let people know that there is a game that uh, blind and partially sighted people can play on the same level as anybody else and compete uh, very well indeed. We have fantastic players and, uh, and I sincerely hope that we can grow uh, and get more members because uh, the more members we have. And you know, Sascock, uh, the, the Sascock people, um, they would like to see us grow so that we can take part in uh, competitions overseas as well. And just remember, if you've never played chess before and you'd like to learn, the clubs would love to have you. They'd love to teach you, and hopefully they'll have you playing as a champion in no time at all. So don't, don't, let that, don't let that put you off. If you've never played chess ever and you'd like to learn, please go ahead. I'm sure they'll love to have you there to train you. Ray, thank you so much for your time and for enlightening us a little bit more about Braille chess. Thanks very much. Thank you, Karen, and um, uh, I hope we go from strength to strength. Yes, I wish you much success. Thank you, Ray. Good night to you. Bye-bye now. Ray Ray Orchid is the chairman of the South African Braille Chess Association. And once more, thanks so much to Bruno DeMeo, who alerted me to this and gave me all the details. And I managed to get hold of Ray and just been chatting to him. That was great. Well, for more information, if you'd like to find out more about Braille Chess, there's two websites. There's braillechess.org.za. Or you can go on to the South African National Council for the Blinds website. That's sancb.org. And there's a link there where you can actually put your name and contact numbers in and you can find out there as well about a Braille chess club in your area. At Adcock Ingram, we're inspired to create quality medicines at affordable prices. The passion and care that goes into our trusted brands like Panado, Bioplus, Comprel and Citrus Soda can also be found in our range of generic medicines. So whether you're a boyki with a bellyache or a gogo with a cold, Trust us to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram Medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. The Disability Report on SAFM. Well, hearing is critical for the development of speech, language, communication skills and learning. The earlier that hearing loss occurs in a child's life, the more serious is the effect on the child's development. Similarly, the earlier the hearing loss is identified and intervention begun, the more likely it is that the delays in speech and language development will be diminished. Professor Claudine Storbeck, Professor and Director at the Centre for Deaf Studies at the University of the Witwatersrand and Director and Founder of High Hopes, a home-based early intervention programme that supports parents of infants with hearing loss at no cost, mind you, joins me on the phone now. Professor, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Corin. Thank you very much. It's been a while since we chatted, so it's nice to have you back. Yes, thank you. So hearing loss and children, this is always something I think that new parents, it it must be quite a frightening situation for them because they probably, in a lot of cases, don't quite know what to do. So what actually could cause hearing loss? Because the child might not be born with a hearing loss condition. It might develop through something else. Yeah. Um... Look, as we say, only, nine, uh, only 5% of families um, 
that have hearing loss in their families will have a deaf child with hearing loss. It's 95% of families are totally shocked to have this little baba born into their lives. So it could be genetic, um, any birth type of problems um, during birth, uh, medication can cause it. If your baby has been in ICU for more than 48 hours, there is a risk factor. Low birth weight. If your child has been in ICU, and um, you know, often when they say they put them in the incubator for oxygenation, um, so there are quite a few risk factors and low APGAR scores. Um, and then, of course, when a child has meningitis, any illness with a high fever, when your child has come through that healthily, please go and check for hearing loss. So now, what, what, what is the first thing that parents should do? Because, you know, with child's been in ICU, you're coming out of hospital, you're not going to go around sort of checking your child's hearing. What should we be doing? How would we notice that there's a problem? The first thing we say to parents is follow your gut, because that's often the last thing that... Um, Doctors and nurses will actually listen to you initially once you've gotten out of ICU. They think that moms and dads are now, you know, totally neurotic. But follow your gut because, you know, your, your, your child should be responding to sounds totally naturally. And you'll start noticing when they don't respond. And you'll start noticing when they don't respond to a pot falling. But always remembering that it's, if it's on a wooden floor, they're responding to the vibrations. If there's light in the room, they're responding to, you know, shadows. Um, but the first three, four, five months, it's really, really hard because little babies carry on babbling. Um, and around about five, six months, the babbling changes from really a nice, beautiful, intonated babbling to really ba 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 ba, really straight, low, deep babbling. And then you can hear it's different. But follow your gut. Most of our parents, and we've worked with now over 1,300 families with deaf babies, um, almost, you know, say almost all of our moms and dads will say they had a feeling that there was something wrong quite a while before the baby was identified. I always believe mothers know best, you know, when it comes to that, because you can intuitively know that there's just something not quite right. Totally. So what, what do we do? I mean, okay, the little ones, the young ones, what do we do and what can be done for them? Because obviously, as I mentioned at the beginning, the earlier that it's picked up and treated, the better chance that child has. Okay. So the moment you think that there is anything that, that's worrying you, you know, you contact your local audiologist. If you're in the private health sector, there's a website. You go to Sashler website, the SAAA website. Look, look for an audiologist in your area. If you're in the public health system, um, you go to your local clinic, you go to your um, local public hospital, um, there's always a, an audiology department in the area. Um, any stork's nest has got an audiologist, and you ask them to please screen your baby. A screening is a tiny, tiny little test. It's actually, you know, if you're in the um, private health sector, it's very cheap. Um, public health, it's free. Just to do a screening and um, really be, be quite insistent because very often this is the type of test that they don't want to do because they think that moms are being neurotic. So be very insistent that they do their little test for you. Um, and once you know that there is something um, wrong with your child's hearing, there is a lot that can be done. Little hearing aids can be fitted on your baba from one week old. Good heavens. And they're beautiful, little pink ones, little you know blue ones. Um, and, and as hard as it seems... They are giving your child access to sound almost immediately. There's an early intervention, like you said, the Ha Hopes program we launched. We come into your home for free. We support you, walk this journey with you um, for the first three years of your life, in your home at a time that's good for you. 
And then you get a team of people around you. You know, you'll have an audiologist that will help you with the hearing aids. Um, if you're a candidate for a cochlear implant, you can get given a cochlear implant at the right age. Um, if there's need for speech therapy and audiolo- uh, speech therapy and physiotherapy for little leggies or, or muscular problems. So, you know, you get a little team around you and it's very, very empowering, but it has to be early. On this program, well, on the Health Matters program as well, many occasions I've spoken to people like yourself, audiologists, who say they wish that there was a program in place where no child leaves hospital once after birth without being tested first before hearing. You know, internationally in the developed world, it is now mm. um, policy um, that before a child leaves hospital, they have to be screened. And then they have very strict protocols in place that once a child has been screened and diagnosed with a form of hearing loss, there is about a 24 to 48 hour turnaround before they have to be referred for further screening, diagnosis, and into an early intervention program like High Hopes. In South Africa, of course, no, no policies in place, and we are getting kids identified with hearing loss two years old, three years old. But as the public becomes more informed, and the longer we work with government and, and, and the health departments, they are becoming aware, and we are starting to fight for things like that. So in the public health, uh, private health sector, um, you know, we have got public and um, private hospitals that are doing this, and in the public health sector, a lot of our public hospitals are beginning to do it. You, you know, we sometimes just have to ask. I was going to say, I mean, are the facilities available in public health? I mean, can people say, before I leave with my baby, would you mind checking the, the hearing? Yes. Are the facilities available for them to do that, though? I would say many or most of the public hospitals either have the facilities or the facilities are available and the batteries might be flat or if they're not available, the audiologists in the, univ- in the hospital are feeling frustrated because the machine might be broken and they actually are dying for patients to ask for it so that that question and query can then go to the, 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 um, the higher um, decision makers so that it can be put on the budget because everyone has a right to put that in budget in the public health sector. So always ask. And if it's not, if they say they don't have it, ask again. And, and you know, patients have much huger rights than they believe they have. So patients should be asking, requesting things. And don't be fobbed off. You know, if they say, oh, well, no, I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. I haven't really got time for this. Don't take that. It's your child's life. The sad thing is when you're a mommy and you're hormonal. Yeah, I know. You know when I was a mommy, <laughs> no matter how much I knew about education and intervention, I was a crying mommy and I was sobbed off. Oh, really? And that's why you need a program like High Hopes. You need family members that listen to radio programs like yours, Corin, that then know this so that when their sisters and daughters and granddaughters are in hospital, that you're there to kind of remind them you have a right. Have and your baby yeah. ears tested. I mean, then, of course, in the first, those first three, six months to follow your gut when you think there is something wrong. So we, we've talked about the, the problems and what we should hopefully be doing yes. about them. And you refer to yourself all the time as an audiologist, and we have spoken about these sort of things before. But in case anybody's missed this, what exactly do audiologists do? Okay. So I myself am an early interventionist, really more of a specialist in early intervention. But audiologists are wonderful people. They will test a baby's hearing, a child's hearing, in a variety of ways. I mean, when they come into the hospital with a newborn, they do what they call an OAE. It's a tiny little plastic probe that they pop into a sleeping baba's ears and they send a tiny little noise down the ear and um, the baby doesn't even wake. It's tiny, it's painless. And a little noise comes back and they will tell you if there's a potential um, problem with the ear. 
And that's the first thing they do. If your child is slightly older, um, that can be done in the rooms while the child is just having a little sleep. As the child gets a little bit older, they can then actually put a child on mommy's lap and they can put sounds in the booth and they get a little child to look at a little teddy bear or they look at a little birdie and they can then see how the child responds to sound. Just as a mom can clap her hands or put music on and, and, and an older sibling can play music. So it's quite a lot of fun and audiologists are trained to watch how these little kids respond to sound and the aim is to see what is the softest sound the child can hear and respond to. And something like High Hopes, are you available around the country or where are you best? Yes, um, we started in Gauteng and we're now available in so throughout the whole of Gauteng, the whole of Western Cape and KZN. And we've got a pilot program in the Eastern Cape. And in 2015, breaking news, we start in Limpopo. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Gosh, so you're really ev- almost everywhere now. We are growing, yes. And if people are wanting to find you on the internet, it's High Hopes, but it's H-I that's Hopes. Not, yeah. not H-I-G-H. It's no, just no, H-I, H-I Hopes. High yeah. Hopes. And what exactly happens here? It's a, I mentioned it's a home-based early intervention program, and you do all of this for nothing. And people just contact you, and then do you come and assess the baby? So basically, in the past, I would say in the past three months, we've had a two-month-old baby from Johannesburg, a three-month-old baby that's just been diagnosed in the Western Cape, and in the towel, phone us, and we literally just, mom's overwhelmed, just found out her baby's deaf, um, and we, we literally pop out to the home, sit down, and mom just tells us. Dad, they let us know what they know, and then we do a little mini-assessment of the child's language, and... Um, Then we sit down and talk to them about the journey that they would like to take, what they would like to do, speech, sign language, um, what are their goals. And then we we start a little language program, but it's all done in the home, so it's natural. Mom and dad don't feel like they're doing any therapy. It's within the natural routine, so it's bath time, nappy time, feeding time. It's a lot of fun, and it just becomes part of their lives. And we include granny and grandpa, sisters and brothers, Mm -hmm. aunties and uncles, um, we include everyone that's part of the child's regular lifetime, you know, and um, it's in the home and it's free. And the child, does, the mom and dad don't have to get dressed and have everything clean and take the child <laughs> on a taxi or in the car to come to a, um, you know, a center. It just makes it so convenient and it's following international standards. The thing I like about that, though, is that the, you mentioned the siblings, and I always worry about the siblings, especially when there's a child in a family with a disability of whatever co- a sort, that the other the siblings tend to feel almost abandoned because the parents are always going out and leaving them and the child taking the, the child, one child with them for whatever therapies or whatever, and it becomes it's almost like a disconnect with the parents and the other siblings, whereas this is, is very inclusive, which I really like. Corin, that's exactly what we see, and so what we now do is we use the sibling very often as the one to play games. So, for example, if we're working on something like um, turn-taking, so we want to be able to, like, roll a ball, roll back, roll a ball, roll back. Um, what we're teaching, we're teaching the parents to do is that that's the foundation of language, that, you know, the child needs to see that there's turns in communication. Mm. We will use younger brother or older brother and sister to be able to use the turn-taking in a whole range of ways and teach them to play with their sisters and brothers and use them as the best in the world so definitely we are including brother and sister so they do never feel out that's great because I oh, that's one of the biggest concerns mm. I always have is that disconnect and and you obviously have now hopefully not having that problem doing a program like High Hopes which I sure. think is absolutely amazing and this as you said is growing and opening in Limpopo in what next year you said that's right in, two, 
in 2015, I can't believe it's 2015 already. Money for, yeah, <laughs> Lopopo. That's amazing. Now, you mentioned phone. Do they, can they, is there a number for them to call on? Um, yes. The general number to phone for High Hopes is 011-717-3750. And that would be for, from anywhere in the country, and then you can direct them to the local... Yes, that's the national number, you, you know, and we'll direct, direct you to your, your local provincial. And if you've got a baby in a province where we don't yet serve, um, we make a plan. So we, we were serving families in the, in, in the Eastern Cape before we were serving babies in the Eastern Cape. We, we, we can't turn down, so we will speak to you over the phone. We will make a plan. Right, I'll give you the number again in case you missed that. But, Prof, thank you so much for your time once again, and hopefully we've given some people out there a little bit of hope, and that's always a good thing. So thank you for your time and for telling us a little bit about what you do. Thanks, Corin, and just to all moms and dads, follow your, gu- your gut. Yes. <laughs> your and don't give up if there's something you want to do, follow through. Absolutely. Thanks, Karen. Thanks so much for your time. Okay. Good night to you. Bye-bye. Professor Claudine Storbeck is Professor and Director at the Centre for Deaf Studies at the University of the Witwatersrand and Director and Founder of High Hopes, a home-based early intervention programme that supports parents of infants with hearing loss at no cost. For more information, you can take a look at the website. It's High Hopes, H-I hopes.co.za or call the national number 011-717-3750 or contact the Speech Language and Hearing Association on saslha.co.za At Adcock Ingram, we're inspired to create quality medicines at affordable prices. The passion and care that goes into our trusted brands like Panado, Bioplus, Comprel and Citrus Soda can also be found in our range of generic medicines. So whether you're a boyki with a bellyache or a gogo with a cold, trust us to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. And that's it for the Disability Report. Next Tuesday, the 11th of November, I'll be back with our monthly phone-in when we'll be talking about diabetes with Dr. Larry Distiller, Managing Director and Principal Physician of the Centres for Diabetes. And a reminder, if you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening, take a look at the Facebook page, Disability on SAFM, or email me directly on disability at safm.co.za. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And just to tell you that this program was brought to you by Adcock Ingram. Adcock Ingram is passionate about the health of all South Africans across our rainbow nation. Trust Adcock Ingram Medicines to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Well, it's time now for Stephen Coker with some late night music. Hello, Stephen.